All right, our scripture reading this morning is from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melts away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I, or that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Like Matt mentioned, my name is Ben Teege. I'm an associate pastor at New Hope Presbyterian Church in Clemens, North Carolina. Uh, a little bit about Clemens. It's very much like Cornelius. It's a tried and true suburb, except there's no lake. So it's basically Cornelius with nothing to do. So that's where I'm from. So it's good to be here with you all, worshiping with you all, and having the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you all. If you would, pray with me as we go into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful again to be called here as your people, to be invited in your presence, and to experience, even afresh today, the mercy that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the expansiveness and wideness of your mercy would capture our hearts, that we as a church in Cornelius and Clemens, a church in the United States, a church around the world, would be energized and motivated to bring the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world that so desperately needs life and so desperately needs hope. So Lord, open up our eyes to hear, to see, and our hearts to hear what you have for us in your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In order to appreciate a story, again, we're jumping into, you know, you have a visiting preacher, so we're just diving into a random text, which, you know, tends to be the case when you have a visiting preacher. But to appreciate a story like this in Joshua chapter 2, we have to face something that may make us uncomfortable. 
It's a story that comes to us as the people of God are getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised his people. And to enter into Canaan, the Israelites are charged by God to destroy the nations who resided there. And this makes us pause, and I think for good reason, thinking about the people of God waging war against other nations makes us uncomfortable because we know the people of God today, the church, is not to enter into this type of conflict. The New Testament scriptures tell us that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the powers of Satan and sin and death. But in this old covenant era of signs and shadows, the very real, just judgment of God against sin often takes place in the form of natural disaster or plague, or in this case, war. It's a, it's a physical shadow and sign that points to a very real judgment of God. And at this unique point in God's history of the world, God uses Israel as a means for his judgment, in this case, against the Canaanites. But right at the beginning, right at the very start of the book of Joshua, when the nation of Israel is going into the land of Canaan, what is accentuated is the mercy of God that is available to all people. What is accentuated is not so much the judgment of God, but the wideness of God's mercy and the invitation for sinners to come into the people of God. And I don't think that's by mistake. That at the very point when this story begins, what's accentuated is the mercy of God. The story spotlights an unchanging truth. The God of heaven and earth is a God who welcomes all peoples into his kingdom, even the most unlikely, and does not simply spare them from judgment, but pledges himself to them and brings them into his family. So three things for us today. First, the repentance of Rahab. Secondly, I want us to look at the faith of Rahab, and we'll end with the mercy of God toward Rahab. These first seven verses, the repentance of Rahab, we find Joshua, the commander of Israel, sending two spies into Jericho. Jericho was just across the Jordan River, the border of the land of Canaan, and near where the Israelites had set up camp. And it's the first kind of heavily fortified city that the Israelites have to go to in order to go into the land of Canaan. And so Joshua naturally sends two scouts to check things out, and off they go. We read in verse 1 that they find themselves in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And this was probably a, a way station of sorts for travelers, the home of Rahab, where she could welcome in visitors to her home and also practice her rather shady profession. But the point is, the spies are discovered. They don't get in without being discovered by the people of Jericho. Someone had tipped off the king of Jericho that these two Israelite spies were in the city and in Rahab's home. Not only did they get in the walls, but they know exactly where they're at. See, Israel had a reputation. The people had heard about what God had done for the Israelites some 40 years before in his great act of redemption, leading the people out of slavery in Egypt. Egypt was like the most powerful nation around, and they had escaped from Egypt and conquered Egypt and been made a free people. And that, that message had gotten out. That word had spread. Israel had a reputation. Now, I'm going to be the most stereotypical 
PCA pastor and give an illustration from The Lord of the Rings. But this made me think of the second movie of The Lord of the Rings, uh, The Two Towers, and that battle of Helm's Deep, which is probably my favorite scene of the movie. And you've got the people in the heavily fortified Helm's Deep, like Jericho was a heavily fortified city. And then there's this scene when it gets toward nighttime and people start to see the little torches of the orcs coming to their city and the dread that comes over them as they see the torch lights. Now, this, this tickled me thinking about it. Maybe I just laugh at my own thoughts. But I, I imagine, you know, what if the orcs had sent two spies into Helm's Deep to kind of scout things out? I don't think that would have gone too well. They, they, would have been, they would have been picked off right away. You know, it's pretty obvious. We know you're coming. We know who you are. We've heard all about you. You're not going to waltz up in here unannounced. We, you know, you, you don't look like us. Uh, you're orcs. So that's kind of what's going on here. The, the Israelite spies get found out, and they find out that they're in Rahab's home, and the people are on high alert. And so right away, the king of Jericho sends troops to Rahab's house to capture these spies, to bring them out. Look again at verses 4 through 7. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them all the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. The, the soldiers of the king of Jericho go to Rahab's door trying to weed out these Israelite spies. But Rahab says, you know, go over there. I have a dog at home, some kind of terrier mix. We're not sure exactly what she is, but I love to play Frisbee with her in the backyard. And my favorite thing to do, some of y'all might think this is mean, but you know, you'll get over it. I like to take the Frisbee and I like to pretend like I'm throwing it. And the dog just goes running off into the yard and looking up in the sky for a good two minutes, even though I've still got the Frisbee behind my back. That's kind of what's going on with Rahab here. She, she kind of tricks the soldiers of the king of Jericho and says, look, go, they went over that. I saw them go that way. And off they go. It's almost, it's almost comical the way that the biblical author gives us this story, that the soldiers of the king of Jericho are so quickly tricked into running outside of the city. And they go all the way to the fords of Jericho, running after these spies that are hidden in Rahab's roof. And what we see here is Rahab tangibly changing her allegiance. She no longer submits to the king of Jericho. She no longer sees herself as someone who has to march to the orders of the king of Jericho, but instead she follows after the God of the Israelites. She changes her allegiance. It's a stunning picture of repentance in action. She turns her allegiance from the king of Jericho and toward the living God. This is ultimately what repentance is. It's a change of allegiance. Everyone else in Jericho knew about God. Again, these Israelites had a reputation and their God, the living God, had a reputation. They heard the stories. But Rahab not only heard about who God was and what he had done, she turned her allegiance towards him. And this is what we're called to as followers of the living God. We turn our allegiance away from the, the idols that we have in our hearts, the things that uh, seek to dominate us, 
the things that we look to that we think will bring us life and peace. We turn our allegiance away from those things and toward allegiance toward the living God, seeking to follow him, seeking to repent and turn and go all in with the living God. It's what we call people to who we desire to see follow Jesus. We pray that they will see the beauty of Christ and turn toward him and place their allegiance with him. Well, the question is then, what drives Rahab to this repentance? How come she not only hears about who God is and who the Israelites are, but changes her allegiance towards him and works in repentance? And the answer is faith. Rahab placed her faith in the living God. That moves us to our second point, Rahab's confession of faith. Just look again at verses 9 through 11 with me. This is Rahab speaking to the spies. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit in any man because of you. And look at what she says, this wonderful confession of faith. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you notice all these, again, these great acts of redemption that God had done for his people had reached Rahab's ears? And she didn't just believe it and hear about it. It led her to confess that your God must be the one true God, the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. In other words, the God over all things is what she's saying. You know, Rahab was a Canaanite. She served many gods, local gods and regional gods, and there were household gods and all kind of different stuff, gods of the sky, gods of the land, gods of the water, you name it. I had the privilege a few times of visiting the museum in the University of Chicago, the Museum of the Ancient Near East. And the first room you go into is these large tables encased in, encased in glass that are filled with all these statues of varying sizes and shapes. And they were from this time period and from this region of all the different family and household and you know, sky and land and sea gods that the people of Canaan were worshiping. And this was the water that Rahab swum, swam in. But now Rahab recognizes that these were no gods at all. There was only one God, the God who worked these mighty acts of redemption for his people, the God of the heavens above, the God of the earth beneath. She heard of these works and she placed her trust in that God, turning from her gods to the living God. This is the reason we saw her acts of repentance in the first part of the story, because she had placed her trust in the living God. Again, one of the takeaways from Rahab's speech here is how familiar she is with the God of Israel. Notice all the stuff that she's rattling off. She heard about God freeing the people from slavery in Egypt and how he dried up the Red Sea for them to be able to cross over. She heard about the way that they were able to conquer these great regional kings of Sion and Og, whom the people all around feared. Not because they were powerful or had, you know, 
advanced weaponry or anything like that, but because the, the, the hand of God was with them. She heard all those things. She was extremely familiar with what God had done with Israel. This all made an impression on her heart, and she placed so much trust in God because she heard about who God was and what he had done. And sometimes I think, man, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we had some kind of victory of some kind, uh, you know, something that happened in history recently that we could point to and people could see how great our God is? I don't know. Uh, But we do have a story to tell. We do have something that happened in history that we can point to to show people who the living God is. It's a story that all these events that captured Rahab's heart ultimately pointed toward. And that's the deliverance from the bondage of sin and death in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We do have a great story to tell, to share with people. It's the story that God uses to draw people to himself, that calls people to place their trust in the God who has defeated Satan and sin and even the last enemy that the scriptures says, death itself. And so let me encourage you as a church, North Cross Church in Cornelius, Lake Norman area, and his families and individuals, whatever your situation is, keep telling the story. Keep sharing the news. Don't grow weary of telling of the great acts of redemption and what God has done, bringing an end to Satan and sin and death through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the good news that the world needs so badly. I know that sometimes in a church setting, and I don't know y'all at all, y'all don't know me. I don't know how long you've been in church. Sometimes though, you know, it can grow a little callous in our hearts and it doesn't make much of an impression on us. And we think, man, what good is it to keep telling this story about what Christ has done for us? And if it all sounds simplistic, let me just share a little bit about my own story. I grew up in church. I grew up in a, in a very healthy Christian home and my mom and dad were very faithful in sharing with me the good news of Jesus and who God was and what he'd done for me. Uh, but like so many of us perhaps did, um, in high school and into early college years, I began to wander away from the faith and try to find purpose in life in all the things that the world offers and what I desired. And do you know what God used to draw me back to himself? He used that same message, the same one that I had heard so many times as a child, The same message, uh, the good news about what Jesus had done for me, the fact that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. But there is a Savior who came to die for me, the Son of God. And he shows his love for me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. It was just a few friends, uh, co-workers of mine that I played basketball with after a work training, invited me to a Bible study on campus and invited me to church. And I just heard the same story. But the Lord used it to draw me back. The Lord used it in his providence through his spirit to bring me into a realization that I needed forgiveness and that I needed to follow this living God who did these great acts of redemption for me through Jesus Christ. God uses the story of Christ, his great and mighty act of redemption to draw people to faith. 
And so for a church like North Cross, again, I'm not going to pretend like I know y'all and your context and exactly, I'm not going to pretend, but I do know a little bit. I know you're a church in some transition and, and behind all of the good and necessary questions that you're facing together as a church, you know, who will the next pastor be? Where's our next meeting place going to be? What's the best? What kind of church do we want to be in the next chapter as we move on? Behind all of those good questions, necessary questions, behind all of those questions, the driving force for North Cross the driving force for my church, New Hope Presbyterian, ought to be, we want to be a church that is constantly, without apology and without growing weary, pointing people to the great news of Jesus Christ and how he came to die for our sins and offer us life and peace with God. Let that be the driving energy behind North Cross as she goes into her next chapter, behind all of those questions. We've seen the repentance of Rahab. We've seen the faith of Rahab. That leads us to kind of the climax of the story, the mercy of God toward Rahab. Look again at the end of Rahab's speech in verses 12 and 13. She's told the spies all that she knows about God and the things that she's heard about. And we've seen her act in, a, in repentance and turning her allegiance to God. Now look at the end. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, I, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Rahab here boldly asks the Israelite spies to enter into a binding oath with her, to promise her that she and her entire household, which in this area and this time wasn't just, you know, your nuclear family. We're talking father, mother, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, servants, cattle. I mean, everyone that's in my circle, please pledge to me that you will spare our lives from this coming judgment, this coming destruction of Jericho. Swear to me and give me a sure sign. You notice it says, uh, you know, as I've dealt kindly with you, deal kindly with my father's house. And she's not just asking here, hey, uh, guys, be, can you be nice? You know, when you come through here, just kind of be nice to me. Um, you know, whatever, you're go whatever you got going on in the city of Jericho, like don't step on my lawn and, you know, don't break my fence down. Just deal kindly. Be nice to me. That's not what she's asking. She's asking for a covenant pledge. It's the same word uh, said. I mean, y'all probably have heard that word. When she's asking for them to deal kindly with her, she's asking for a covenant pledge pledge to be made to her. It's the same word that God uses when he describes his love toward his people. Uh, when he speaks and reveals his glory to Moses, he says, I'm the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, you know, the phrase steadfast love has said. It's the same idea that Rahab is asking for. Deal kindly with me. Exercise steadfast love toward me and my family when you come into the city. 
And so how does God respond to this incredibly bold request? He extends the full measure of his mercy and his salvation and his love to her. He brings her in. Doesn't just deal kindly with her in the sense of being nice, but brings her into the people of Israel. Makes her one of the chosen people of God. She's no longer a Canaanite. She's an, she becomes an Israelite. That's how God responds. When, when you read further, if you keep reading in the book of Joshua, when you get to Joshua chapter 6 and the, the, the coming of the, you know, the people of God into Jericho to destroy the city, we read at the end of that account in verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day. And you guys know the rest, right? You go to the New Testament, you go to the very first book in our English New Testaments in Matthew chapter one that starts off with the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And who do you find there in the, in the lineage of Jesus Christ who comes from the people of Israel? You find Rahab, the prostitute, one of the descendants for Jesus Christ. It's a stunning picture of the wideness of God's mercy that he extends to sinners. You see, Rahab is like the last person you expect to receive forgiveness and mercy. If you're just going off, you know, who do you think deserves uh, to be brought into the people of Israel? It's not a, a Canaanite prostitute. But that's who God chooses to bring in, to extend his mercy to. The door is opened to Rahab, the prostitute, the Canaanite. And the one true God enters into a covenant with her and makes her a part of his chosen people, his beloved children, his portion. There is no one. You know, I need to be reminded of this as I was studying this week, there is no one outside of the wideness of God's mercy. No one. That's what this story is showing us. So who, who is the, 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 the Canaanite prostitute of, of the Lake Norman area? I don't, I don't know this area as well as y'all do. Who in your mind, in your heart, is kind of like, man, they're just a little bit beyond the reach of God's grace? someone that seems so hardened against God that you don't even want to really waste a whole lot of time, you know, witnessing to or, or reaching out to. You, know, you might be friends with them, but I'm not going to invite them to church or a meal at my home and talk to them about Jesus or Bible study, whatever, women's retreat. Who is the person that seems so far beyond the reach of God's grace? Maybe, maybe in this area, I, again, I'm, I'm the the, the, not from here. Is it the wealthy Lake Norman, big home, caught up in their success of their work or their retirement that just seems like they don't have any needs for, to hear about God? What do I need to be saved from? Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the student at Davidson College who grew up in church but has, has uh, kind of deconstructed their faith 
and really not, not just asking good questions, but is almost antagonistic against the faith in which they came from. They're too far. They've, they've gone too far. Maybe it's the wayward child that you have or a family member that there's just no way. The mercy of God extends to that person. There is no one outside of the reach of the mercy of God. The good news of Jesus Christ is available to all types of people. And if Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, could be drawn into the people of God, that person, whoever it is in your mind, can be drawn into the people of God. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep pleading to the Lord. Uh, The Lord tells us in in Matthew chapter 6 that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are are few. And then he says, so plead to the Lord of the harvest. Keep doing that. Keep sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in your church, in your homes, and keep praying. There's no one outside of the reach of the wideness of God's mercy. And as we close, as we come to an end here, Did you notice the Israelite spy's response to Rahab? Did you notice it? Look look again at verse 14. And the men, the spies, said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly, steadfast, lovely, and faithfully with you our life for yours, even to death. Again, this is not simply a promise to be nice and kind. It's a binding pledge that if they don't follow through, death will then extend to them. They will be judged. They will be given over to death if they don't keep this promise in this pledge. They'll be killed for her sake if they don't keep this covenant pledge. They swear on their own life. My life for yours, even to death. Brothers and sisters, this is what God has done for you and for me in Jesus Christ. But the difference is, he actually took the punishment. You see, the spies, when they went in and rejoined the army of Israel and went into the city of Jericho and destroyed the city, they were spared. But when Jesus says, my life for yours, even to death, he takes the punishment The punishment that the destruction of Jericho was simply a a, a tangible sign to point toward the judgment of God, he actually took it upon himself on the cross. The Son of God taking on flesh and bearing in his body and in his soul the entire weight of the judgment of God that this was just a shadow of. He took it upon himself, my life for yours, even unto death. And because he died that death that you and I deserve for our sins, we now become part of the people of God. This is the good news. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. His life for ours. The wideness of God's mercy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what can we say? Uh, I confess uh, myself that there's people in my life and maybe even in my imagination, that I just feel are just too far. Maybe there's people here today 
who feel that about themselves. I am just, I've done too much. I haven't done enough. There's no way that God could forgive me. But you show us in a text like this, and as you remind us of how Christ fulfilled texts like this, you remind us that your mercy is wide and all people are invited into your kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Let that be the energy that drives North Cross Presbyterian Church. And Lord, let it be the energy that drives New Hope Presbyterian Church in Clemens. It's in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.